You're listening to a River Life Fellowship message. We hope this message encourages you and enriches your life. For more information about us, visit us at riverlifefellowship.com. Well, I want to talk about developing singleness of heart. Now, for all of you young, single people, don't worry. This is not a message on the celibate life. Okay, that's not what this is about. So, uh, (laughs) you don't have to fret too much. But (laughs) to start off with, I want to do something a little bit different here. Um, I'd like to ask Don Casperson to come forward, if if he would, please. I'll put Don on the spot here. Everybody give Don a big hand. Now, I want everybody to stand up, okay? And will you lead us in singing this? Let me see if I can find a key that you can sing in and I can Lower. Uh, lower. <laughs> oh, beautiful for special skies, for amber waves of grain. For purple mountain majesties above all fruit had planned, America, America, God shed His grace on thee and crown thy God with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Amen. Yeah, the other three verses are a little difficult. Move forward. I don't have enough length on my cord there. We got to get all this worked out, but <laughs> um, you know, as being the Fourth of July, I was thinking prior to the 1730s, 40s, somewhere around in there, these 13 colonies that we started out with were really just several disjointed, disconnected and somewhat disgruntled colonies with one another. Yeah, they were a little upset at British tyranny and all that, but there were also issues among themselves. And, for example, you had Maryland, which was an Anglican colony, was the official language of the, or the official religion of the colony, versus Massachusetts, which was Puritan, you know, Congregationalist, all of that. So these two worldviews, And religions were very much kind of in opposition to one another. And besides that, you have a variety of people coming to this new land from a variety of backgrounds. And I'm saying all this to say that in the 1730s, God began an incredible movement, an incredible religious revival that we all know as the Great Awakening that completely changed the American landscape and set a foundation for a love for freedom. And, and liberty. And um, there was this very boring, monotone preacher named Jonathan Edwards, you know, who kind of got it all started. And the fiery George Whitfield, who was an Englishman, that kind of we know from our history books were the primary guys who led this thing along with some others. 
But the Spirit of God moved in an earth-shattering way and brought together people from different backgrounds, different religious denominations that desired their God-given right to govern themselves and to live in freedom. And as I mentioned earlier, angels played a big part in this revolution that took place. You know, because we wouldn't have been able to do it, all common sense would tell you, with our little ragtag militias and stuff. Um, so, in no means was the American Revolution only um, a result of the Great Awakening, but the Great Awakening, I believe, did play a very important part because God brought together in unity people who were otherwise somewhat separated. They didn't consider themselves to be Americans at this point, okay? Because there was no United States of America. And God somehow unified it all and made us be able to join together for one purpose. So this morning, I want to talk about singleness of heart or unity. And that in the same way that God enabled these disjointed colonists to come together to defeat the most powerful empire on earth, I believe also God can bring us together and our diversity. There's a lot of diversity here whether you think that or not. And cause us to make dramatic impacts for the kingdom of God on the earth. Amen? Anybody with me on that? You believe in that? Now last week, the Lord was encouraging us to unify the church. Did you guys catch that? Now, by the way, I wrote this message about three or four weeks ago, as Byron said, and uh, I just didn't get a chance to give it. So um, I thought it was interesting last week when I believe um, John and some other people were sharing things basically along these lines. Uh, John was talking about, you know, not falling into these cliques and all this kind of thing and really being united as a church. But before... I feel like before we can truly experience unity as a church, as a body of believers, first, we have to be unified with our Father. And secondly, we must be living in unity with our family. Then, I think we can come together and be unified as a church. Now, all of this, of course, is dependent upon the Spirit of God. Because just like in the American Revolution, you know, men couldn't make that happen. God did something there. And I believe God wants to. I believe we're in a time where God's wanting to help us. You know, He's kind of reaching out and saying, I want to help you guys. If you'll let me, I'll help you. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if anybody else senses that, but... So, sorry, your mouth suddenly gets dry when you get up here in front of everybody. Three steps in developing singleness of heart. These are very very elementary steps, but I think something that is well worth revisiting from time to time. Number one, unity with God, as I mentioned. Ezekiel 11, 19-21, I put it up here for us. Now, a little bit of background here. During this time when Ezekiel is prophesying the children of Israel, there's a remnant that remains captive in Babylon. Okay, and so he's speaking to these people and he says, and I will give them, this is the Lord, I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their hearts of stone 
and give them tender hearts instead so they will obey My laws and regulations. Then they will truly be My people and I will be their God. Then again, Jeremiah prophesies a similar thing. They will be My people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear Me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear Me so that they will never turn away from Me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of my heart and soul. Now remember, these people are being addressed having been having turned themselves away from the Lord, having hearts of stone, being in captivity, and God saying, I will bring you back. I will bring you home. And not only that, but I will give you a singleness of heart with Me, and I'll replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So, making that real to us, it would be like a person who has somewhat turned away from God, has backslidden, or maybe someone who's following the Lord but is just off track in their destiny. And God's saying to you, have hope. Don't fear. I will give you a singleness of heart. I will unify your heart and mine. Now, why is unity important? Well, Jesus made it very plain Oops. when He said... You know, the greatest commandment. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I love what Matthew Henry says in his commentary. The heart is then one when it is fully determined for God and entirely devoted to God. When the eye is single and God's glory alone aimed at. When our hearts are fixed, trusting in God, and we are uniform and universal in our obedience to Him, then the heart is one the way, and way one. And unless the heart be thus steady, the goings will not be steadfast. From this promise, we may take direction and encouragement to pray with David. Unite my heart to fear Thy name. For God says, I will give them one heart that they may fear Me. And then, uh, you know, great Oswald Chambers, I love this. He says, and after you surrender, then what? Okay, you're a Christian. So what do you do next? It's this, your entire life should be characterized by an eagerness to maintain unbroken fellowship and oneness with God. Our entire lives, that's what it's all about. So therefore, I propose to you today that this is something worth fighting for. Okay, in celebration, celebrating our independence, this is something worth fighting for. To fight for unity, first of all with God. Now, I want to say this also. Our forefathers knew that with independence and liberty came great responsibility. 
I'll say that again. With freedom comes great responsibility. You have a responsibility to vote in November. Whoa now, preacher's talking about politics. Let's step away for a second. No, that's the truth. You have a responsibility to vote in November. Why? Because we're here worshiping God in freedom. We have the freedom to do that. I have the freedom to get up here and say whatever I want to say about God, the government, whatever, without worrying about the secret police busting in the door. Now, let's not take that for granted, church. Let's not take it for granted because just as quickly as we got it, we can lose it. Okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, even though I think the choice should be obvious, but... But there's a responsibility that you have to register and to vote. So I just want to say those things. And I hope it's okay for me to say this, but if it's not, well, I'll apologize later. But um, in the early years of our country, the political process started in the church. Okay? It started in the church. That was the, the core of the political process because our founders knew that without God and the Bible, it was impossible to live in a democratic republic. Okay? I mean, you read the history books. It's there. Don't read the secular history books. Read the Christian history books and you'll find out that people like George Washington and even Benjamin Franklin said those very things. Okay? And the liberal humanist world out there has told us, well, separation of church and state. You know, you shouldn't be talking about that in church. Well, do you know that the term separation of church and state never appears in our Constitution? Do you know where it does appear? It appears in the Constitution of the former Soviet Union. Okay, so just be careful. Educate yourselves about the truth. Okay, Pastor Noah in his leadership seminar the other day was talking about truth. Okay, and this is truth. Is that God is very concerned about our government. God does have a role for the church to play in government. And Byron and I were talking about the other day how some of these pastors that he meets with, one of them was talking about how, you know, the church is really invisible in Mooresville as far as city government goes and you know, having like a major impact. Like, politicians are probably not really thinking, well, before I do this, I wonder how the church is going to respond. I wonder how they're going to feel about that. You know, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think there's a problem there. Because society is impacting us instead of us changing society. You see, we have a part to play. And what's really exciting is to be a part of a place like Mooresville Christian Academy, just a little plug there, where we can teach young people these things and they can go out into the world and choose to make a difference. Like Rachel Murdoch. There she is, sitting on the front row. Stand up, Rachel. Just embarrass her for a minute. You know, Rachel has a vision. (laughs) Rachel has a vision to be an international diplomat. Is that right? Somewhere along those lines. That's kind of what you're studying. So, she has developed a vision that God's given her to impact societies in this way. Now, I'm not going to keep going on about this. Because it's really a sideline to the real point I want to make, but I think it's an important sideline. And while we're on our patriotic holiday, I'll just, you know, be able to throw those things in there. Um, 
Yeah. So, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, God has blessed this land. And Father, we just thank You right now for our freedom. We thank You for our liberty, God. We don't take it for granted, Lord. We give You the glory. We recognize that You are our source, Lord. There is no opinions and ideas of men, Lord, that can keep this nation, but only You, God. And Lord, we humble ourselves and we pray, God, and we cry out to You to heal our land, Lord God. Oh God, we ask You to put Your man in offices, Lord, all across this country, Lord, that will make a difference, that will stand up to the humanist agenda, Lord God, and speak the truth, Lord God. Lord, I just believe for that. I believe that You can do it, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. You truly... God has blessed America. And Lord, we don't say that to be some egotistical Americans, Lord, that we're better than anybody else. But God, it's just Your mercy. Just like as Christians, we're not better than anybody else, God, but we've just found mercy, God. We've just found grace, Lord. Lord, make us a light to the world as a nation, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Amen. Amen. The second thing... The second way to develop unity within our hearts, within our church, within our families, is just that unity with your family. And um, I know this is a big, a big thing today. The family is under attack. You know, go back, going back to public policy for just a second. I promise, gay marriage is wrong. Anybody? Yeah. Anybody, I mean, I mean, it's it's not right. Not because you know we hate gay people and all that. That's a non-issue. God's word says it's wrong, and no nation in the history of civilization has ever been able to function and be maintained that has not protected the sanctity of marriage. We got to fight for this, people. We got to fight for our marriage. We got to fight for our families. And that starts with me and you and these children that God's entrusted under your authority. Now, I will ask you to turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 21. And I'm going to be reading out out of the New Living Translation, which I know you know may not be the most theologically accurate pa- um, translation thank you, in the world, but I like the way it's worded, so it'll be a little bit different from your Bible, but it's basically the same point. Ephesians 5.21 And further, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by baptism and God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. 
In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for His body, which is the church. And we are His body, as the Scriptures say. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first of the Ten Commandments that ends with a promise. And this is the promise. If you honor your father and mother, you will live a long life full of blessing. Verse 4, And now a word to you fathers. <laughs> I love that. And now a word to you, to your father, to you fathers from the sponsors. Don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction approved by the Lord. Now, am I the only one in here, or does this passage seem incredibly difficult to do in context of your family? Um, I mean, can I see a show of hands of wives who find it easy to submit to their husbands? Wives, any hands? Uh, no hands going. Okay, husbands, can I see a show of hands of those of you who find it easy to love your wife even as your own body? Oh, yeah, okay. We got a few back there. <laughs> um, it says you're actually loving yourself when you love your wife. Um, that Christ gave up His life for the church. Isn't that right? So, therefore, I should willingly die for my wife if that's what was needed. Okay? Or for my children, I would stretch it to say that far. Now, children... Where's the children now? I know a bunch of them are in class. There's one. There's a bunch in the back back there. Well, we're all probably children one of them, but, you know, in the family right now. How many find it easy to obey your parents? Man, it's so easy. I just, yeah, I'll take out the garbage. No problem. No sweat, Dad. <laughs> Byron's pointing fingers. <laughs> you know, that's just not a hard thing to And fathers. How many of you find it easy not to make your children angry by the way that you treat them? Ouch. <laughs> you know, maybe that's one passage of Scripture that as fathers, we've kind of... Oh, I've never seen that before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, hmm. So, personal applications. This is just what the Bible says here. Husbands, you must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. Each man must love his wife as he loves himself. Wives, as the church submits to Christ, submit to your husbands. As he loves you, the wife must respect her husband. And children, honor your father and mother. Obey your parents. Fathers, don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. Now, folks, you know, this is a battle. Everything in our society and our culture today is opposite of this. Isn't that right? I mean, just follow down the line. For husbands, it's all about you and your boat and your, you know, your new truck and your, you know, your job. 
All these things. It's all about you. You can see the plan and the strategy of Satan. Okay, It's to get you husbands to focus on yourself. Wives, you know, it's the same old thing of just rebel against your husband. Oh, what does he know? He's just focused on his job. He doesn't really care about me. You know, all these things that go through your head. Children, it's obvious. Our culture says that. Well, you know what teenagers do? They rebel. That's just the way teenagers are. And praise God, I'll just, if I can endure through this season of life, then that word that's been planted in their hearts will come to fruition and they'll come back to the Lord. Hallelujah. No, see, like Pastor Nolan was saying, humanism has infiltrated our thinking. It's not normal for teenagers to rebel. Okay? Now, you know, I was a rebellious teenager. Okay? I know there's teenagers in here that have been rebellious from time to time. So, in other words, what I'm saying is, it's the plan for you. It's the enemy's strategy for your life is to get you to rebel. Because like I shared with the teenagers um, a couple of weeks ago in our youth meeting, is that the Bible says in 2 Samuel that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That like witchcraft, that opens up your spirit to demonic influences and can lead you into all sorts of bad stuff. Rebellion is the same way as when you rebel starting with your parents. It opens up your life from the protection the surrounding covering of your parents that the Lord has established there and it allows you um, to be infiltrated by other stuff that can mess you up. I guarantee you, if you ask any murderer that sits in prison today, their downfall started with rebellion against their parents. Have you ever noticed how even in the New Testament when Paul uh, lists like all this list of bad stuff that people do, you know, like murderers and, and, and drunkenness and sexually immoral. And then in the middle there somewhere it says disobedient to parents. I was like, what? <laughs> what is up with that? I mean, disobedient to parents. I mean, how can that be the same thing as like equated with like murdering somebody? See, it's all, that's where it starts. So I just want to say this morning, again, I want to beckon you, children, fight to honor your father and mother. Because the truth is that when you honor your father and mother, you'll be blessed, and you'll be blessed with long life. That's what the Bible says. And husbands, we have to love our wives. It's not an option. We have to put their needs before our own. And wives, I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions. So that I don't get in trouble when I get home. <laughs> I know, maybe that was the chicken way out, but. Um, <laughs> since they're up here at front, if the Hartness family, if you guys could, would you guys just come up here? And Daniel, you need to come out from hiding back there. I'm not going to pick on you, I just want to use you as a nice model. <laughs> He's threatening me now. But, um,. Okay, they might not want me to say this, but, you know, just your all-American family. Okay, mom, dad, two kids, a son and a daughter. They've got 1.2 dogs at home or something like that, you know. Probably some goldfish and cats as well. Um, fight. you got to fight for this. 
You know, this is God's will for your life. Okay, I'm not just saying this for the heartnesses, but for all of this. All of us. This is God's will. This is what we are meant for. This is what God created us for, is to fight. And the reason I brought them up front is because I know they do just that. They fight. They fight for their children. Their children fight to honor their parents for the most part. And, you know, they, they're really going after it. You guys can have a seat. Amen. So, families, fight. I know it's not easy. I mean, I guarantee you, well, when I was praying yesterday, the Lord said, Matthew, you need to be careful that you remain unified with your wife and your kids and everything before tomorrow morning. Isn't that the truth, Byron? If you've ever been in, if you've ever done something like this, even like at a home group or any type of thing like that, you know that the enemy's going to come and try to derail you before you even get there to preach the word. You know, and especially a message like this, I'm like, I can just see me walking in after a big fight with my wife. My kids are all mad. You guys got to be unified. You know, it just that's hard to do. You know, not that it's still not truth. It's still truth, even if I did have a big blow up with my wife before this. So, I'm by no means perfect. Hear a big amen from the front row here. But, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that God's Word isn't true. And we can strive for this. And probably when we go home today, you know, some of you guys are going to be facing probably conflicts. And maybe there's conflict right now as we speak. Some of you um, parents and children were fighting on the way to church or whatever. Hey, i got no stones to throw. Absolutely none. Because I know the battle. But I just want to say, I want to, I want to stand beside you in battle. Amen, church? You know, we want to stand beside each other. We want to hold each other's hands up and saying, you know what? I got your back. <laughs> you know, if the enemy comes at you this way, I'm going to be there for you in prayer. If the enemy comes at you from this way, I'm going to be there to counsel you and help you best I know how. Amen? So, the third way to develop singleness of heart is unity in our church. <laughs> Ooh, okay, here we go. The real meat of the message. Unity in our church. There's three ways that I just saw from Scripture to do this. Now, before I do this, I want to bring up some other people. Marlon McCusa. Where are you at, Marlon? Come on up here, Marlon. Um, Jerry Jolly. Is Jerry here this morning? Okay. Um, let me pick on somebody else. Um, well, Don, come on up here. I know I already got you up once. But, um, Pam Curran. Is Pam here this morning? A lot of people out of town. Okay. Um, let's see. Who else can I pick on? Come on up here, Rhonda. <laughs> Getting people a little uncomfortable. Brett Linker. Come on up here, Brett. Uh, Danny Hodges. Where's Danny at? People out of town. Um, Alright. Yeah, Scotty, you come on up here. And where's Kelsey at? Is she here? She's not here today? Okay. Um, are there any other... Okay, Addy, you come on up here. All right, there we go. 
Now, and what's your what's her name? Michaela, will you come up here? Okay, there we go. Now you guys, yeah, that's good. Just stand in a row across the front. Now I want you guys to look at this for a second. When I said there's diversity in our church, you, you see what I'm talking about? In other words, we've got young, we've got older. Well, he is older than Michaela, so, you know. <laughs> we've got black, we've got white. We've got teenagers, we've got all different color hair. We've got dreadlocks. Okay, so you guys can have a seat. Give them a hand. Oh, and just a demonstration. Sorry, you guys got Have a seat. That in our church, there's a diverse group of people which in the world the devil has successfully divided. I was reading about Azusa Street Revival of 1906 this morning. <laughs> My wife came in and said, what are you reading that for? I was like, oh, I'm just reading. She goes, are you preparing for the message? I'm like, no, just reading. Oh, just reading, huh? <laughs> anyway, I was reading about the Azusa Street Revivals and one of the big characteristics of this mighty powerful move of God in the early 1900s was that this old black preacher from Louisiana was out here in California, Los Angeles. And they said that in, in that revival, in the middle of, middle of everything going on, which, you know, in 1906, we're just 40 years away from the Civil War. Okay? It wasn't... Uh, the situation all across the country was a little strained, to say the least. Um... But when that revival got started, they truly saw no difference between black and white. They had Hispanics coming, probably from south of the border. They had Filipinos. They had Chinese coming. And um, the records indicate that whoever had the Holy Ghost upon them was welcome to speak, to testify, to sing songs. And... I just believe that a move of God, which we all desire, will truly be reflected in unity amongst diversity. Because, see, there's power in that. There's power when that happens. When we can be united with people who are different than us. And despite all of us mostly having lily-white skin, despite the racial thing of, you know, we're basically the same right now anyway, at the same time, you know there's pe a lot of people in here that are just totally different than you. You know what I'm saying? Personality-wise, socioeconomic differences. Well, they've got money, I don't, vice versa. Or they're this way, I'm not this way. God wants to shatter all of those things in our lives. I believe that the power of God wants to be released in an even greater way when we can just get rid of all that stuff and not have to worry about it so much. Now, the first thing, no bitter roots. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Let me just stop there for a moment. Does it say, make an effort to live in peace with all men? Is that what it says? Make an effort? No, it doesn't say. It says, make every effort. Does it say, make some effort to live in peace with all men? No, does it say, okay, first, one time make an effort, or two times make an effort, or seven times make an effort and it doesn't work out? Uh, just go on. 
No, it says make every effort that you possibly have to live in peace with all men. To be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You know what gardens are like. If you let them go, the weeds just start growing up and before long... Chuck, you know what that's like. (laughs) Before long, I mean, all this awesome plants that you planted could be totally worthless if you don't do something about the weeds. Okay? Let's not let any bitter roots come up. And see, the thing about this to me is all of this is basically about me and about you as individuals. Because when you make it your mission in life to be a weed puller, okay, you're going to be the human roundup machine. Okay? In other words, when something happens and somebody says something to you or some, you know, somebody's offended you and all this, you just say, spray it with Roundup. You seen that commercial where the guy's got the big flamethrower? You know, <laughs> he can't get rid of that weed. He's like, you know, and just... If you will make that just a practice in your heart, then we won't be defiled. We won't be so easily defiled because it says that it will defile many. And see, what happens to one person... All of a sudden, that weed is like that Bermuda grass, it just, or that crab grass, you know, it'll just spread and take over. And before long, your whole beautiful garden is just a bunch of crab grass. You know? That's what can happen with our church. If we don't take it as our not the pastor's responsibility, not the youth pastor's responsibility, not the children's pastor's responsibility, not your life group leader's responsibility, but if you take it as your responsibility to not let a bitter root in, it'll make a difference. Amen. You guys believe that? Okay, good. Number two, or letter B, show true humility. Titus 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. When I was talking about families, as a husband, isn't that really what it's all about? It's true humility. Christ said that He came to serve, right? So if as a husband, I'm supposed to be like Christ, then my main purpose is to be here to serve my wife. Whoa, watch out now. Stepping on some toes. Some of us, we might have had it the other way around. Oops. You know what I'm saying? True humility is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, but consider others to be more important than you. I'll be honest with you, and I say this in total honesty. There's a lot of people that are in this church, just that you just sit here, you're doing a lot more stuff that's important to the function of this church than I did. Okay? I'm just trying to be like a nuts and bolts guy, you know, just kind of keep it together. But some of you guys, like Ron's talking about nuts and bolts, is out there like building buildings and you know, doing all this stuff, and Tommy's over here watering, and all this stuff. I mean, 
And not to mention all the ministry that goes on with the, team, the prayer teams and the prophetic ministry and the life groups. And I mean, let me just tell you something. Meeting together in groups of ten people or whatever, that is much, that is so important. You know, that is just as important, if not more important to some degree than what we're doing this morning. Because why is that? Because you can guard each other. You can watch out for each other like we were talking about. You can fight for families. All right, let me move on. We're running out of time. Unity in our church, number three. Letter C, maintain the unity of the Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, in that part that I have underlined, where it says, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, Colossians 3.14 says, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So you know what the bond of peace is? You know what the bond of perfection is? You know a bond, something that cohes- uh, is cohesive, that holds things together. What is the bond? It's love. The simplest of all, but isn't that what Jesus said in the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God. And then what's the second part? Love your neighbor as yourself. Just as a husband loves his wife as himself. Alright guys, let's face it. Let's get real here. Yeah, I've read all these articles about how 20-somethings and young people, they're looking for a church that's real. Okay, so I'm going to be real. Okay, let's face it. If you're in our church, you're going to be offended. Sorry. If you're in our church, you know, people are going to hurt your feelings. You're not always going to feel good. Okay? Just like your family. Is your family always roses? I mean, you always, oh, God bless you, sister. I just love you so much, you know. And you just walk around with these smiles on your face every day and wake up. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord... Let's be real. Family ain't like that, right? I mean, it can be to an extent, and that's what we're striving for. But if you've arrived there and your family's like that all the time, then come see me afterwards. I need prayer. I need your anointing. There's not a church like that. You know, and if you're looking for a perfect church, don't go there because it won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) I heard somebody say that. That's the truth. We're not perfect. A perfect church doesn't exist. So let's stop expecting perfection. Don't expect the leaders of the church to be perfect. Yes, let's expect, let's, let's require of ourselves humility. That's a better way, better way to think. Let's require and think humility, but not perfect. Okay? And somehow we're going to have to find a way to deal with situations that are offensive, that hurt us, 
Now I've got an idea for you. Okay? Just one minute. Hey, Judah. I got your sword. Come here, bud. Hold your sword. Hold it up high. The way you deal with it is spelled F-I-G-H-T. Fight! Yeah! Fight, Judah! Come on! Fight! Come on! Fight! Whoa, whoa, okay, okay, okay. Alright, All right, go sit down. Give Judah a hand. We gotta fight. We gotta wield the sword. You know what I'm saying? We gotta stand up to the world and to all these demonic things that are coming against our church, our families, and our relationship with God, and we gotta take up the sword, we gotta fight. Okay, if we stand back, we're going to get sliced to pieces. We're going to be sitting ducks. Okay, we've got to fight, guys. Now, I want to show you something cool. This might not be 100% theologically correct, but one thing that I noticed, um, well, summing it all up, unity with God, unity with your family, unity with our church, is that, number one, unity with God is, you know, God the Father. Number two, unity with your family. We talked about Christ a lot in the family and husbands being Christ and all this. That's the Son. Okay? And then, the third one, unity with our church, is by the bond of the Spirit. Being the Holy Spirit. So just as the Trinity is a reflection of perfect unity, when all of these things, unity with God, your family, and your church are in alignment, the Trinitarian nature of God is more fully reflected in your life. Now, obviously, it's not, you know, we can't make that comparison completely because God's God and the Trinity is truly perfect unity. But the Trinitarian nature can be seen by the world in your life when all of these things are in unity together. Isn't that right? Amen. Now, to sum it up here, um, when I was a kid, maybe some of you guys can relate with this. You know, I grew up in a Christian family, fortunately, but um, my dad, from time to time, would call the family together for a family meeting. Okay, so mom and dad were sitting on the couch and me and my brother would stroll in, just dreading it, you know, basically just trying to endure, to be honest with you. And You know, we'd come in there and Dad would lay it out. Okay, guys, you know, here's what we're facing. Um, this month, for example, you know, we're a little tight on the budget, so Todd and Matthew, you're just going to have to cut back on your cereal consumption because the price of Cheerios has gone up a lot. Okay, and me and Todd, I mean, we consume just mass amounts of cereal as teenagers. It's ridiculous. But it would be something like that. Or, or, or it may be, well, you know, you know, my dad would say, Martha and I um, would like to apologize for something that happened or something we did wrong. Or you guys have been fighting a lot. And, uh, you know, this is what the Word of God says. And so let's bring it back together here. Let's, let's be, be unified. And the purpose of those meetings, those family meetings, was my dad's attempt to bring unity within the family, right? 
and probably some of you guys had similar meetings and hopefully they worked. <laughs> the teenagers are like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, whatever you say. Okay, yeah, okay, can I go now? All right. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I by no means pretend to be like the father in this church situation, but I guess I could say as one of the sons of the church, okay? Let's just sit down here this morning and make a decision to be unified as a family. Okay? Because we're a family here. Let's be unified. Let's fight for it. Let's make that decision. And, you know, there's all kinds of things. I believe that there's exciting things on the horizon. The past has been extremely exciting. And we've got more exciting stuff to go on to. But in order to do that, we need to unify. You know, for example, just some nuts and bolts stuff. We desperately need more nursery workers. We need children's church volunteers. We need youth ministry leaders. We need small group leaders. We need hospitality people to help with baby and wedding showers and meals for the sick, etc., etc. We need greeters at the door. We need ushers to keep order. We need all of these things. Okay, and let me again just be real with you. If you come to church just to be blessed on a Sunday morning, you're a little bit outside the family. I just want to say that with all the love and sincerity is come on into the family. Come on into the family. Find a place to serve. Find a place where you can minister to other people so that God can truly bless you and bless others. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Say, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, Gain nothing, not a zilch. Nothing. So, what is the key ingredient in maintaining unity? L O V E. Pretty simple, but we all need to remember love is the key ingredient. I don't care if you can get up here and prophesy as long as the day is, you know, all day long. Or if you, you know, well, brother, I gave my house to the poor. Or, you know, you're willing... The Bible says even if you die for the cause, if you don't have love for people, for family, for God, your Christianity is worthless. It's like, dong! It's a clanging symbol that makes absolutely no difference. That's the truth. And I hope you guys can accept that. Again, I don't mean this as a rebuke. I mean this as an encouragement as an exhortation. Because one thing, when I came to this church six years ago, when I walked in, I knew that people loved me and that they loved each other. Okay? That, stand, that sets people apart in the kingdom of God. So, where do I start? Well, first of all, let's start with these things. Make anything right that is divided in your family with God or with someone in the church, I 
urge you, I beckon you, do whatever you can. Secondly, be aware of bitter roots in your heart and make a commitment towards unity. we got to fight. Unity doesn't just happen. It's one. Fight for it. Amen. Well, if we could just stand together. Lord, I don't know um, how exactly to respond as a body to You this morning, God, but I just ask You, Lord, to penetrate our hearts. God, and uh, I make a commitment to fight for unity, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, God, that You would um, do something in each and every person's heart in this room this morning, and even those that aren't here, that are on vacation, Lord, that suddenly their hearts, our hearts would be single-hearted towards You, God. We would have a singleness of heart to pursue You, to pursue Your call as a body. And Lord, I just pray, God, that You would do that supernaturally. I guess maybe respond like this. If you have any division, either in your relationship with God a division in your family, or a division with somebody in the church, just raise up your hands. Nobody looking around. Everybody just close your eyes. I just want this to be between us and God. Lord, You see these hands, Lord. You know these people. You know their hearts, God. You know their hearts are towards You, God. And somewhere along the line, the enemy has, been, has gained access, Lord. His divide-and-conquer strategy is working, God. And Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I come against that spirit of division, Lord. And I just break it off of them. I break it off of us, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that You would bring unity in marriages. You would bring unity between parents and children. You bring unity between people who are separated from fellowship with You, God. You bring unity among members of this body, Lord. God, we just thank You. We praise You. We believe by faith that You're going to do it, Lord. And I just pray that You would enable us to stand on this Word as we walk out of here today, Lord. And all God's people said in agreement, Amen. Amen. Bless you.